1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game in one of the ways that we are doing that in... The post-COVID era is through an emphasis on cyber. Mm. Kyle, how many times you hear me talk about cyber?
2: Man, too many to count. More fingers than I got.
1: Yeah, so as part of that, I wanted to bring Abe and Ryan on to talk about what they're doing and why. Hang on. And Before so-
2: that, I got the cherry one. <laughs> Money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dude, have y'all ever had those alani energy drinks have you had them it looks like it said aloha but it's really alani
2: i
3: haven't had it now but it I doesn't have, have it... like a
2: bunch of bullshit in it it's got
1: like no, vitamins it and
4: no, l-theanine it's actually...
1: yeah it, it's got the stuff that, that'll juice you up a little bit but but won't make you weird yeah. they have like cherry slushy as one of the flavors. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it tastes <laughs> just like a melted cherry icy. It is. Have fantastic. you had the cosmic
2: cosmic stardust one? Stupid name, but okay. It tastes exactly like Skittles. Yeah. Kyle, that that theanine is what chills you out. I know so, it offsets the caffeine. It gives you the energy, but without like again making you all jittery and weird. Yep. My problem is they taste so good. I would drink like five of them in a row. Oh God! <laughs>
1: like in ter- like like just pouring them in turvus ter- ter- tumblers and keeping one on my desk. <laughs> and the yeah. they, the taste is so good. They've got that one. They they have um the other one they have that's really good. So I got them. I got them at Sam's, and Sam's has the Cosmic Stardust, the Cherry Ice, the Cherry Slush. And it has another I had the one mimosa too. one too. Maybe some grape one. But the other one they have that I can get in individuals is called Tropsickle. And it's like orange pineapple mm. creamsickle. Oh my God. I bought the peach <laughs> one at
2: the at the store here on my way back as well. So we'll have to try that I out. I would punch somebody in the face
1: to take their <laughs> tropsickle Alani and not even think twice about
2: it. It is so good. Uh, so, so
1: bad yeah one of these days i'll be laying dead in my office with a half drunk <laughs> alani in my in my hands because my heart oh. exploded from chugging energy
3: <laughs> warning do not drink 10 of these in a row
1: <laughs> we were in a we were in a really nice restaurant in new york i don't remember what we actually were fortunate enough we ate in a couple this weekend but i told andrea i'm like they brought the they brought my diet coke in a can. I'm like, what do you think these people would do if I just stood up and shotgun this thing in the middle of the restaurant <laughs> without him even thinking twice about it? Uh, <laughs> oh man, crazy. It so, uh, Yeah, seriously, come on, people. he's like Happy Gilmore. Come on, a little noise, little noise, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get the crowd amped up. That's, That's too right. funny. All right, so. Why don't you guys just sort of give the overview, kind of w- what led you to where you're at right now? Both of you guys have been on the podcast before in, in some capacity. So I want to fo- sort of get down to brass tacks a little bit, but sort of talk about what got you to where you're at.
4: And then we're going to talk about where you're headed.
3: Hey, if you want to start it off, yeah, I can start us
4: off. Um, yeah. So we, Ron and I met earlier this year, and uh, I was one of his clients, and we were, doing a lot of external scanning, really following the David Cruthers cyber approach and using the cyber risk report as uh, kind of like a cyber version of the experience mod and using it for prospecting. And, and, and uh, Ryan was at a company called Trava, which gave us the ability to do that and generate those reports without you know having to put in a dummy quote at coalition and running into like BOR issues where it's like, we, we had one, there was this, Nobody does that,
1: do they? Do people yeah.
4: really do that? <laughs> a coalition called me. and They're like, uh, are you working with this account? And I'm like, uh, no, I just wanted the report. And they're like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> Ryan Software helped me do that. And then we started gelling. And, and really the way that we thought about the industry was very similar. So it was just kind of like a natural transition into figuring out ways to help uh, retail agencies Um you know, elevate their their cyber offering and, and and their ability to make some noise in that space.
1: Yeah. Am I literally the only person who, when he said we started gelling, I thought to myself, like a felon.
0: <laughs> I That's a doctor. Like a Scho- you guys are probably. <laughs> you
1: guys are probably. You're probably all too old to remember that Doctor Scholl's commercial. That was a legit commercial on TV in the ni- in the. Early two thousands. Yeah. One hundred percent
2: remember 90s. that commercial.
1: yeah jellin it's like i'm jellin like a felon and then you're right they did say magellan at one point yeah yeah Yeah.
3: anyhow sorry you know i I don't have any recollection of that but i'm sure i saw it i i have a you know a few other that stick out in my head but i
2: follow a fantastic page on instagram about like 90s stuff and it'll show ads and just like brands and and things that <laughs> were in the oh, 90s and it immediately you're just like whoa like <laughs> totally had been erased from your mind and it just brings back a, a rush of uh, yeah whatever please the tell me else. to have
1: the clear pepsi in there
2: oh forgot about that one too <laughs>
1: <a good> one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's see, they need to bring me on that page as an administrator 100%. One hundred percent. I feel like I'm really strong made. in the '90s, man. '90s, <laughs> yeah. I hit my Dude, wheelhouse. Dunkaroos,
2: Dunkaroos were my Dunkaroos, favorite.
3: Dunkaroos, damn. I know. Yeah, uh, the the one commercial that that hits home to me is JG Wentworth. You know, I mean, that takes me back to just faking sick when I was, you know. <laughs> If yeah. They,
1: just, Which tells yeah. me everybody that was a stay-at-home mom had horrible credit back in the day. So <laughs> they got saved when Ki- they got saved when Kia came to America because they'd finance yeah. any like we used to joke about that. I'm t- it was probably like 95-96 when Kia first started like showing up. It was definitely late 90s, it was before two thousand. But literally, that was their claim to fame. Bad credit, we don't care. You know, we'll give you ten years, hundred thousand mile warranty, and finance anybody. So you're driving down the road, and it's like literally, you look at anybody in the Kia, and you're like, terrible credit,
3: yeah, <laughs> terrible credit. <laughs> that kind of, and we can kind of dive into this but i mean if we want to pivot that into cyber that kind of reminds me of the cyber market right now i mean you got we probably
1: need to ryan go ahead and keep yeah, us on the right. rails man this thing yeah, can go anywhere got, i mean you
3: got you, I'll, I'll go into you know, a little bit more about about us what we're doing but i mean you right now there's a serious market grab going on in cyber insurance so you know there's a few players that are just i mean no credit you know no history of work no problem like here's your here's your cyber policy um, you know, we like 2000,
4: 2007, 2005 yeah. to 2007 real estate vibes going on in yeah. the cyber like, market. Um... <laughs> well, I mean, look, I
1: don't want to be, I'm, I'm very rarely the one to call names, but I will on this case because I think you have to. Like, what's the deal with the travelers Corvus situation? Right? Corvus just took funding at three quarter million or $750 million valuation, but they sold to travelers for like 40% discount or whatever it ended up being. And I actually kind of thought, That that's that's where this was going to head because if you guys remember, which I'm sure you do since you're in this space, but if you remember a couple months ago, there was a press release that came out that said travelers had given Corvus some capacity, which I thought seemed like a really, really odd move at the time. Not so much anymore, but I mean Mm -hmm. when you're talking about a market grab like that. Look, I don't know anything at all about the inner workings of Corvus's underwriting. All I know is that being on the outside looking in for several years, I've heard they're writing too much too quickly, they're writing too much too quickly, they're out of capacity, they're not gonna have the paper that they need. And now I see a company that was, you know, valued at 750 million turn around and sell for four and some change, not even, you know, a year or two later.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It just tells me there's still a lot that needs to be looked at. It's not as easy is answering three or four questions and getting a quote, you know, especially when there's no real way to do predictive modeling because it's such a new, it, it's such a new line of coverage relative to the rest of the insurance world.
3: Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure the other, I I, I guess you could categorize Corvus as somewhat of an insure tech. I mean, they're an MGA, but at, at you know. Uh, yeah. I, I think
1: people insurance. would classify them as an insure tech because of the underwriting platform. And they were really, I think I don't know, I, I'm probably wrong on this, but I, I seem to remember them as being, if not the first, one of the very first that did that, where you could go in, you could get yeah. the vulnerability assessment, you could get the coverage, you know, the you could get a, a quote indication and all of that with relatively little to no information. And so yeah. I think that's why I would classify them there is because of their actual their platform, not necessarily the the paper.
3: Yeah, and I'm I'm sure. All the other InsurTech MGAs out there are, are not happy about this acquisition because you want to talk about valuations for them. I mean, they just got completely undercut, like you said. They just I mean, got they just,
1: crucified.
3: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not surprised. I think Corvus has been struggling a little bit in the past few years with like being competitive. But yeah, if you're an InsurTech MGA, you're not happy about that news because you're about to go get Series A, Series B, whatever, you, you know, you name it. And those valuations are gonna be cut in half, uh, based on, you know, from what you're p- predicting. So Well, I didn't I didn't
1: follow harder. the acquisition of Evolve nearly as closely because I just it didn't yeah. seem overly interesting to me. This one did. How did the valuation of evolve in their deal compare to Corvus's in their deal? And I don't even know that evolve's terms were disclosed. So that may be yeah. why I don't know.
3: I think Evolve, I mean, I think they're both getting, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place on both their acquisitions. I don't know the exact valuation that Evolve got purchased at. I just know that they needed to find new paper and yeah. this would have been their best way of finding new paper.
1: Interesting. Okay.
4: Evolve was Evolve was unique because they, they weren't really an MGA. They were more just like CFC with the amendatory. Yeah, they were an
1: MGA with one market option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's it. And and I mean, the yeah. reality is anybody who knows cyber could have gone and replicated that same form by knowing what to ask for. Like I never really got behind Evolve for that reason. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me. You have remind me, why is it that I'm using you? Because you're, you, you're using paper that I can get to on my own for the most part, or through somebody I already have. more importantly, a wholesaler that I already have a relationship with. And so yeah. they never could, they could never turn me to use them for anything because I'd rather go to a wholesaler that can give me, you know, five or 10 or more options, or at least has the markets to where they could do that. I, I place a certain amount of faith in a wholesaler of knowing their product better than I know their product. So I'm going to trust them until they t- show me that I can't. But that that was just always weird to me too. You're just you're a single market company and that's what you're going to hang your hat on. And I think too, if you look at it, Evolve was probably actually pre-Corvus. They were earlier than Corvus yeah. was. But those two had to have been they if they weren't one and two, they were pretty darn close to one and two and look who's leaving the market and getting acquired now. The people yeah. who have the most exposure on the books because they've been writing longer and more.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They're just a hell of a marketing machine with those shark videos. I'm sure everybody's seen them, but that that's the best thing evolve ever did was their create.
1: branding and their marketing was 100% on point man 100% nobody can take that away from them
3: right um but yeah i mean you know if we if we dive into to more about what abe was talking about you know what what we saw was agents needed and what i was seeing at trava was agents needed help underwriting cyber insurance and the only way to to really do that was be a, a wholesaler that not only assisted with the underwriting, like gathering the information for the agent, but also doing a due diligence process on their own to make sure that they're translating that information to the carrier. I couldn't do that at Trava because we weren't a wholesaler. You know, we were, we were a technology company. Um, and so I felt the wholesaler was, was the perfect piece to, to do that. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, the transition was just natural for, for me to to join in with Scenario Cyber and to, to lead this pivot. So, you know, from a high level of what we're doing, that's, that's pretty much it. You know, we're helping agents underwrite cyber, but we're also doing our own due diligence process and being able to translate the cybersecurity information into higher insurability for the client.
1: So talk a little bit about that, Abe. You know, I mean, I'm the client. I've got an agent who tells me I've got cyber exposure. I don't really believe them because I haven't had any claims yet. How do you guys make a difference and equip the agent to go in and make that case?
4: Yeah. So there's
1: there's a couple of things. Sorry, man. Right? I didn't mean to throw the sweet chin music right out of the box, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: And that's that's one area I'll be completely honest. It's retail agents are in a really hard spot. I think you can you can show people their exposures by obviously just like any other line of business going through claims examples and trying to tailor those to them and just saying, you know, what is, does this seem likely or showing them real examples of, you know, competitors or, or kind of like similar companies in their space. And, you know, we've all heard them, the take-up rate right on cyber stuff, definitely getting better. And the, the best, the best way to do it is just to have, have a vendor a large vendor contract require it. That's my favorite <laughs> that always helps. Yeah, you want this big contract. uh, Well, that's one of the
1: reasons why I like MSPs, man, because I can go in and have them put it into their master services agreement that to be their client, you should have at least a million in cyber coverage and then have them refer all that business
4: to me. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, so that I mean, that's and I'm happy to help people with that on the getting cyber insurance part. That's where we tend to show our most value there are really great wholesalers out there and there are really bad wholesalers out there, just like there are really great agents and really bad agents. There's a lot of wholesalers out there that, you know, push paper. They take your PDF that you got and just BCC all their underwriters and hit send. Mm. Um, So we, we found that for cyber, that's not really an effective way to get things done. And we, we want to help our retail agents get the best outcomes for their clients. Cause that's what they want, right? That's what an agent wants is the best outcome for their client. And so the way that we do that is like a big thing. It's like these scans, like these scans are such a pain in the butt to be honest, because they, they lack so much cont- context that yeah. they're almost unusable, but they're powering the underwriting engines of like so many carriers. So I can, I go to a, an underwriter, this application looks fantastic but they have this one port open and they're like, yeah, we can't write this unless they close that port. And then I tell the underwriter, well, this port, like they're running an important service on this port. They have compensating controls behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and they need to have that port open to run their business. But we, we've had to educate our underwriters more than anything to underwrite risks and not classes. And then also like, let's look at these scan results that you're running in context because people need to run their businesses. And sometimes they need open ports but like, let's look below, like just like the port scan, and, and figure out what are the compensating controls behind the scenes that make this a good risk. And so that's where we really play as a wholesaler is being kind of like that middleman to vouch for the account and say, yeah, if you ask three questions and you run a port scan without any context, it's not going to look like a good account. But if we if we ask the right questions, and we get the right information. This is a profitable account.
3: Yeah, context, context is everything. Like. You know it's almost like defensive and offensive moves that we're doing here it's like the only reason why we're, we're having to run these scans is because the carriers have adopted this scanning method for underwriting and we all know how that's gone I mean I'm sure all the listeners on here know how that's going like you go to your client you're like hey I we got to fix this open port that I I don't really know what it what it is or what it does <laughs> yeah <but it's> no- <laughs> um and frankly the underwriter doesn't really know either they just know that hey if it's critical i have to put this on my subjectivities list and so it's like defense we're just running the scans just to make them away so we can have the the information ready to go when we go out to market and be like hey there is a reason you know have the context behind it there this is the reason why this port is open
2: and there's got to be other things that people can do, like you've mentioned, like some controls they can put in place, even though the port is open, in order to make it less of a risk. Like, Talk
3: about some of that. Yeah, 100%. That's- before you do I mean- that,
1: real quick, though, before you do that, here's the thing, man. For all you agents out there that are like already starting to nod off a little bit because you think that this stuff just takes care of itself this is really no different than how you approach any other account that has any potential risk to it. The cyber scan in cyber work, you know, the cyber line of coverage is no different than a pre-inspection for workers comp at a manufacturing facility. You just have to go physically look at the manufacturing facility. Whereas with the cyber scan, you have the ability to do that virtually, I think where we get so caught up in agents is we just freak out that it's virtual or digital. And we have a hard time, you know, marrying that to what we've always done when in reality, the process is exactly the same. You're just using completely different tools.
3: A hundred percent. Yeah. I I, I think us, like just all of us as agents, like we just naturally get, you know, we get a little put on you know, the background. We're like, oh, like that's just kind of frustrating. I don't want to deal with that right now. Um, it's, yes, it's, it's more
1: work than i want to do i want to make yeah. it easy yeah yeah
3: trust me i i get the pull too
4: because there's definitely days and times where i'm like this is not fun but yeah. it's it goes back it goes back to the extra two minutes yeah i'll, pl- I'll plug a little book that i like uh the extra there two minutes um, <laughs> we'll take
1: all the plug and we can get
4: man. yeah <laughs> so yeah, yeah like kyle, kyle ask a question yeah, and that I, a I, question. I walked
1: all over him i want i just want, I want to make sure you guys <laughs> answer that first
4: yeah. 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 So the, the big thing about ports, like I'll, I'll take one, for example, I made a post about it today. Ironically, um, the RDP, RDP uh, port, the remote desktop protocol, that's like the, one of the biggest ports that like, if that's on there, it's yeah. either like a declination or it's definitely a subjectivity to close. Mm-hmm. The reason that that is, is because back in like 2019, RDP ports were used as an attack vector for ransomware in like 31% of cases. So mm. the so like the, the people in underwriting are like, "Well, shoot, I don't want any open RDP ports on my on my book. Like that that just looks like I'm writing a claim." So uh, what they what they failed to look at is like, "Let's look at how RDP ports work and then let's figure out whether or not that's like the root cause or if there's something underlying that's actually the root cause. And when you look at it, an RDP RDP port, when you access one, it's just a login page. So if you have MFA set up, if you have strong passwords, if um, maybe you segment your RDP behind a, a VPN, like there's all these different controls that you can have in place that make an RDP port just a login page, no different than any other service that you're using. So that's where the scans outside of context really like you really start to of see. It's like RDP people are, that's just a login page. If you have the underlying controls behind the scenes, there's really nothing there that should make that uninsurable or make it a contingency to close it. Cause you might need it open.
1: Well, you know, here's the other thing, man, and I'm definitely going to get hate mail over this and that's fine because it is what it is. But I feel like a lot of the times too, And this is certainly not, this does not apply to every single person out there, but I do feel like it applies to a good number in that, in, in that exact scenario is what prompted the thought, but how many underwriters even know or understand that, right? Like, and look, I get it. Cyber evolves at such a rapid pace. It's really, really tough to keep up with all the changes and everything. But I just feel like if that were something that were to show up that in an underwriter screen or in their top secret book of underwriting cyber, they're going to pull it out and they're going to flip to the page that says open RDP port and they're going to read what it says their response should be. And that's it. Like they don't really know how it works, what it does, what could control it, what so- could secure it, what vulnerabilities exist. It's like, nope, that's it. This book's right here. Tells me no. And that's where their knowledge of cyber ends that's the problem you can't you can't underwrite cyber in a streamlined and quick fashion because it's not a basic coverage man it's it is it is complicated yeah. can you can you underwrite workers comp on an online web quoting platform? Absolutely, all day long, no problem, because you really only need payrolls by class code and loss runs. Pretty cut and dry with the the and everything. Everything else is statutory, right? (laughs) Right. So it's like you don't really have to worry about it. But you get into this, man, you better have some. You better have some really good, you know, knowledge. And the problem is, there's we've got to get to a tipping point in the industry where where that is a thing, right? We've got to get to the point where there are agents and underwriters out there that know this as well as the tech people because they have to be able to explain it. Right now, those people are so few and far between that if you do happen to get one, you got to be careful getting them out in front of your client or whoever else because they're going to scare the bejesus out of them talking way over their head about everything that that they know. But the reality is you got people who can go really, really deep in workers' comp. You got people who could go really, really deep in fleet safety and OSHA compliance and all of this other stuff. When you get to people who go really, really deep in cyber – we're still at a stage in our industry, no offense to the people who are in the industry, this is just a fact, you still have to go outside of the industry quite a bit to get the answers you're looking for, because we just don't have that knowledge and skill set in the insurance industry yet.
3: Yeah, and and that speaks so heavily to our thoughts on cyber applications. Like you can't, as an agent, you can't just rely on the cyber applications to tell the story about the client you know, the security questions are yes, no. And in this RDP port scenario, that's, you know, they they see RDP port open, all right, decline, or subjectivity, right to quote. Whereas like, if you add some additional context, if you add that additional story, the compensating controls in that segment, now you're able to describe to the underwriter exactly what it is, what it does, and what they're doing about it. And you're not gonna be able to do that just in an application. And so, you know, we're just finding that adding context and having partners to be able to add that context is huge when it comes to increasing your clients insurability and not just small business, but like this is, this is ways for agents to get into that middle market, into uh, schools. You know, we're seeing this massive in education, manufacturing clients. Like if you want to get in these really tough to write industries, cyber is going to be your way in. And having the context around the application is going to be your way of of winning that client. Yeah, I mean, I always
2: thought it was pretty bizarre that we could get a quote like with their with their website and their address and their <laughs> revenue. It was like, <laughs> damn, I mean, it's cool. All right, cool. I got a quote turned around, but then you sit in there and you're like, wait a second. Like, I mean, what what are we actually even ensuring? Well, the the like, problem is they... it
1: covered it covered everything under the sun too.
2: It's yeah, not it's even gross. just that you
1: get a quote, you're getting like, usually in any other coverage, if I were to get that, I'd be like, all right, what's missing? You know, is this right. X wind? Is this X wind? Is somebody excluded from driving? What's the deal? And you go in there and say, holy crap, man, not only is it a, a reasonable quote, and I got it lightning fast, but this thing literally excludes almost nothing. Yeah. And then now they've obviously started pairing the forms back. They've got sublimits on so many different things where they had claims activity and exclusions in some cases. It's just it's nuts.
4: Yeah. Well, the 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 interesting thing for small business is that I I asked one of the the heads of cyber at a probably a top four or five cyber carrier and just asked them like why why are we doing this where we're just asking you know a domain. And that's pretty much it because they just pull in all the data from everywhere else. You just plug in the website and get a quote. And they told me, based on our data, we can pretty much underwrite any any risk under twenty five million in revenue with zero questions and still write it profitably. Hmm. So,
3: I mean that that's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. wild. It's super it's wild. Crazy. I mean, there's no way that's sustainable. I I had another underwriter at you know one of the larger underwriters of. Or carriers in the cyber insurance space tell me the only reason why we ask, ask the MFA question is to put clients into two buckets. It's it's not like actually measuring the cybersecurity posture of the client. It's just saying, okay, if they have the uh, the recognition that they need MFA, they're probably taking a look at their cybersecurity. Therefore, they're a better risk than somebody that doesn't have it. And that's the only way that they're deciding on the two buckets is okay. They have MFA. That means they're paying attention. So well, yeah, we'll give them every single coverage under the under the sun, and that's just not sustainable.
2: No, well, I mean, you've seen over the past whatever, you know, ten years, like the it it's it's changed. I mean, like we've talked about it on the podcast a number of times about how, you know, sort of mirrored the EPLI back, you know, from twenty five years ago or so, and and not having the claims data, and now it's starting to roll in, so. I mean, I, I agree. I don't see how that's a sustainable model to just collect minimum amount of info. I don't know. I've not looked at the numbers like you guys have, and, and all that kind of data, but it just it doesn't seem on the surface like it makes very much sense to me. Yeah, market. I
4: think, yeah, I think the 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 problem is is Kyle put yourself in a in a startup founder's position, and you are trying to woo VCs. Like, is it does it make does it make VCs excited to say? Hey, I'm going to start an MGA and we're going to have a really long, you know, detailed application and we're going to take our time to underwrite the risk and we're going to, you know, be selective and we're, you know, we're going to do all the things that, you know, traditional underwriting would tell us to do. Like that just doesn't, that just doesn't get VCs excited to dump, you know, tens of millions of dollars into your company. So everybody's following the same playbook. They're skinning the cat, you know, just a slightly different way. Mm. And I think, you know, like other industries, we'll probably just see it fade away eventually or they'll just get gobbled up by the legacy players that you know will never go away (laughs) like i I personally think it's a good thing that that travelers acquire corvus because you can kind of you know eat the meat and spit out the bones of what you know insurtech mgas have been and then you get the backing of a really established legacy carrier that that's not going to be as reckless with the way that they approach the industry so i i I honestly i hope more of it happens.
3: Yeah, and, and Travelers isn't reckless. So, uh, I mean, especially from what I've seen on their how they underwrite, I mean, especially on MFA, they're they're, like, they're crazy. Well, yeah. But you well, know, it's going to be interesting appetite, to see what
1: they do, man. I mean, they bought volume. You know, now what are they going to do with it?
4: Yeah. Well, from, from my conversations, people are excited about the idea of like a standard carrier like Travelers being able to offer the kind of like ancillary services that Corvus does. And almost be like an insure tech, but it's, you know, it's like, it's like writing it with Trub or Travelers or whatever, CNA. So people are excited about that kind of blend if that's the direction they go.
1: I just can't imagine them adopting the same underwriting process moving forward. I just, I don't see how that can happen. And I think the other thing too, man, is if you look at this from where a lot of the risk lies, look, we can talk all day about the, the massive companies and the massive breaches that you hear about, because that's what makes the news. What you don't hear about is all the crap that's happening every day with ransomware and everything else in small and medium businesses, which certainly includes middle market. You know, $25,000 ransomware demand, that's not going to make national news, but the Mm -hmm. TJ Maxx breaches, or, you know, the breach in New Orleans or, or anywhere else, you know, that big stuff is what people focus on. The reality is you're dealing with small and medium sized businesses. And a lot of times those people, A, don't have the know how, which means they do need us but B, don't have the money or don't want to spend the money to fix anything because in their mind, they don't, oh, nobody wants to mess with me. I'm just a small, you know, mom and pop, whatever. When in reality, they're probably an easier and bigger target because it's death by a thousand cuts for these people. They'd rather go get a bunch of $25,000 ransomwares a day than go for the one big one because there's less of a chance of them
4: getting caught.
2: That's a good point. Oh, yeah. yeah.
4: It's... there, we like to think of these cyber attacks as like, uh, you know, well thought out, like strategic attacks on certain companies, but it's really just opportunistic. So these cyber attackers find some sort of vulnerability and it maybe gets published in their hacker forums and then they just go find that vulnerability. And if you're in the crosshairs, you're in the crosshairs. So mm-hmm. you're, everybody will probably, you know, over the course of their business will be in the crosshairs, you can prevent them from being successful, but doesn't mean that you're not going to be in the crosshairs on, probably every single day in, in some capacity.
1: So as you guys are working with agents, you probably have the ability to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, what are what are some common mistakes you see happening on the agent side of the house that you can talk about that'll help these uh ladies and gentlemen as they're out prospecting new business to know to avoid?
3: But the the biggest mistake that i see across the board is scrambling to uh submit the insurance application kind of last minute you know i i just avoiding the proactive nature when it comes to uh, cyber applications like you can't wait 30 days to to submit these things um and you're not going to win in the hard-to-write industries operating that way you know we've we have two ways of underwriting at Snare Cyber. We have the traditional way, which is get the application, try to run some due diligence real quick and get it out the door. But then we also have our proactive way where we can run our, our analysis, uh, meet with the IT team, go over what the five or six controls that they need to implement uh, to become more, not only more secure, but more insurable. And uh, putting yourself as the agent in that scenario where you can go to the client and say, hey, we're not going to just hope and pray when we go out to market, we're actually going to do a full analysis here. I think the biggest mistake is agents overstepping that and just sticking to uh, the bread and butter of what the industry is just doing in cyber. And that's just uh, blowing these applications out to market and hoping that they get a good quote back.
1: Well, I think it doesn't, it can't stop at the application either because agents have been lying to underwriters for years. It's, It's... the supporting documentation that they need to have too it's it's not just yes we have it anymore it's yes we have it and here's who we use and here's a copy of our most recent monthly invoice to prove that we're paying for it because like i i mean we we see it and people like oh that's ridiculous that's an insult no it's not because y'all been out getting fleet discount or uh, GPS monitoring discounts on fleet policies for years, and you don't even bother to ask your client if they have GPS in the vehicles, right? So mm. it, it's it's no different, I, I think. But we're we're at a point too. I, I actually had a video. It's kind of weird. It's it's taken off quite a bit on social this morning about how do you navigate the hard market or what's the biggest surprise? And my answer was turnaround times. But really, mm. when you think about it, turnaround times are always gonna suck for people who put together a crappy submission. It's just, they suck more now than they used to. And usually there's an end message they don't want in the form of a declination or whatever else. But I really think that a couple of things, number one, agents need to make sure that they're asking the question behind the question and getting follow-up documentation to prove that that risk is every bit as clean as they think it is. And number two, I think they need to read that crap when they get it because it's only going to make them smarter for their next client and prospect. Learning cyber is not something you can just – I mean, yes, you can go to get your designation from Chubb or you can go to the rubles at the National Alliance. But by the time you get that, everything you learned is probably going to be just about out of date because of how fast it moves. And I got to believe that by taking the time, like when an underwriter asks a question, I have no problem saying, Hey, you know, I'll get you the answer, but why are you asking this? What's the intent behind it? Because that only makes us better. And I don't know how many of my peer group actually go out and do that. Right. When you hear something that sort of hits you, where do you say, Hey, what what do you mean by that? Or why is it that that you need to know that or whatever else when They just, I got a quote or no, let me get you the answer. And they move on and they don't, they don't do it because if you take the time now, that could be the difference for you at the point of sale on the next deal.
2: Yeah. I mean, if if you're having to weather through that question, you can add, you can assume that the prospect is going to have the same questions. They're going to be like, well, why do you need that? I think, I think the issue is that it's been made so easy for so long and, it and you just go in and like, you, like we talked about, you get a quote turnaround quickly, you pass that off, you don't have to learn anything and it does change all the time. So it's a lot to keep up with and agents by and large are just like, whatever, it's easier for me to not do that. So I'm just going to go somewhere where I can get a quick quote and, and shoot it back over
3: to them. Yeah. And, you know... It's, it's, I think it's what's interesting is cyber is in like a typical insurance. It's following actually a typical insurance cycle, I, I think, for the first time in its history of, of being somewhat of a primary coverage where like you see property right now, it's, it's hard as, can, it's hard as can be. Right. But what happens is, you know, I'm sure in, in two years uh, or, or maybe even sooner than that, a new player or a new financial capacity will come in, undercut the market, and it'll be a race to the bottom. Seen it in property a, a few times in my career as an agent where where that happens, you know, it goes up and up and up, race to the bottom, and then and starts climbing from there. And I think cyber is no different right now. Uh, you're seeing people come into the market. You're seeing a lot of ILS structures come in. You're seeing new capacity come in, and play, people are undercutting the market for a uh, market grab and valuations. Um, and now, right now, we're in a race to the bottom. So it's almost like who can ask the least amount of information, who can get the fastest quotes out, who's going to win. And that's not going to last forever. And so, you know, if if you're an agent that's just relying on that to win, you know, in a year from now or two years from now, you can be caught with your pants down. Like you need to be prepared and running an efficient uh, quoting process and have your clients still staying up to par on their cybersecurity. Um, If you're not, they're going to find themselves in a really tough place in a couple of years from now, um, when, when that hard market does come in.
1: I feel like it's already here, man. It's hardening. I don't think we're yeah. going to know exactly when we're at the pinnacle of the hard market. Cause we got a while to go before it builds up to that point. Yeah. Which is I, crazy because you know, you people are getting bad news all over the place with property and everything else. This is not going to go away. It's going to follow suit until people begin to take it more seriously.
4: I think it's a good time though, to get, you know, while, while it's a really hard market and there's probably two sides of this coin. Cause like if you're meeting with your client and they just had a, you know, hundred percent or 50% or whatever percent rate increase on property or any other kind of hard line of uh, coverage right now, it's, you know, it's kind of a hard ask to, to want to, you know, cross sell cyber, <laughs> but, if you're if you're talking about strictly new business, I think it is a, a pretty decent time to get into cyber if you haven't already. Because it's almost like cyber on training wheels right now. Um, you can you can pretty much not know what you're doing and, and kind of get by with this market and you can get accounts placed that have literally no controls. <laughs> it's just kind of a free-for-all. Um so I, I would say that if you haven't started offering cyber insurance to every single one of your clients, not only just for your, you know, um, we actually, i had always heard of this example of like, Hey, you don't, you haven't offered, you know, cyber insurance to your, to your clients, they get hit with an attack. There's, you know, pretty big loss there. And then you the agent gets sued. I actually saw that take place, um, in, in Tennessee with an agent, um, where there was a CPA firm that didn't get, um, offered cyber insurance and they got hit by a ransomware attack, 500,000 losses and they sued the agent. So hmm. now we have like a, a precedent set to to kind of make it, it should be a part of your process in, in, in every single role, any interaction that you have with your clients to be able to just offer it. And I think that's like a good first step. Like if you haven't started, it's just offering it with the acknowledgement of rejection or acknowledgement of rejected coverage letter. That that's That's like step one. And then you can kind of move on from there. When you guys are talking with agents, what are you
1: hearing for them? What's the pushback they're getting on the streets? What do they say their clients tell them? Like when you go back and say these are the things that have to happen, or you know, we're probably not going to be able to get you the best best result possible. What kind of pushback are they getting? Cost of compliance, uh, inconvenient to invade on their day. Like I'm I'm just genuinely interested.
4: Yeah, there's a there's a couple things. So I think we need to realize how expensive control implementation actually is so like uh like if you wanted to roll out MFA for a company with hundred employees we're looking at probably about fifty thousand dollars to roll that out so there's a lot of insurers right now that are pretty pissed off because they had to go spend a bunch of money on Mfa or or whatever the control was during the hard market that these carriers were requiring and then now the carriers have kind of gone back on that requirement and it's not really you know they're just kind mm-hmm. of iffy on it So that's one thing. Like, additionally, there's a lot more, especially in the middle market, a lot more people are having to get compliant with certain security frameworks. So they're spending even more and more on their cybersecurity. And, you know, like you see announcements almost every single day, like, hey, we're proud to announce that we're SOC 2 compliant or whatever it might be. They're spending lots and lots of money. Those are six, you know, six figure plus type processes to go through. And they're not seeing really an alignment with their cyber insurance premium. Like, underwriters for cyber insurance they look at controls they look at industry they look at revenue but they don't really look at anything else so the agents that that have an answer for you know hey how can we how can we translate your investments in cyber security to better insurance outcomes and then the ones that can continue to preach you know just strong controls that's really what matters most here are the ones that i see that that win a lot of accounts and are able to get really cool meetings especially the ones that are able to kind of play on that pain that, you know, you're spending a lot of money, but your rate is increasing because the insurer, the insurer threw your new revenue into the underwriting engine and it spit out one that was higher, even though you probably reduced your, your actual risk.
3: I, I, I have a thought. It's not, it's not in relation to your question, David, but it's a, it's a, Increase in sales by via partnership thought for uh, all your agents that are, that are listening on here. A move that a lot of ag- mm-hmm. agencies are making is partnering with virtual CISOs. Everyone's partnering with MSPs or, or MSSPs, but these VCISOs are, are working with clients that are trying to adhere to compliance frameworks. And what they're inadvertently doing is implementing controls that actually greatly affect their insurability rate. And so if you are able to partner with a VC, so to help that VC, so translate those improved controls, not only to becoming compliant, but also an increase in insurability. And and what I mean by increase in insurability is uh, enhanced coverage, lower retentions, no sublimits, sure you can get premium credits, but like those first three things primary, then you can empower that VC. So as an agent to bring something to market that really not a lot of VCSOs can uh, can talk about or, or can, uh, can relate to those security controls. So if you partner with that VC, so you're helping that VC so better become a better one. And then uh, at the same time, he can refer that client to you for a book of a piece of your business, right? So now you can take that client out to market and get them a better cyber insurance quote. Um, and I, I think people should start paying attention to that uh, rather than the other way around, rather than the insurance using the VC. So
1: you used a lot of acronyms there. That I was about to feeling. say, what the hell is a
3: VC? So, man, I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I was going to say that a lot
1: of people <laughs> probably have no idea what you were talking about. So okay, <laughs> let's, let's give them the Captain Crunch decoder ring. It's one of the biggest
4: it's one of the biggest problems with cyber. So cybersecurity has a ton of acronyms. And um, insurance has a ton of acronyms. And it's just like the two had a baby and just created
3: <laughs> the worst. Think of a VC, it's a virtual security officer, right? So they are the ones, they're like your your health coach or your your gym coach, whatever you want to recall it, that are telling you, hey, this is your Roadmap to success, right? You want to become, get your compliance in, let's just say it's a ISO compliance or a, you know, uh, your, your standard or HIPAA compliant, whatever it may be. You hire a VC so or a CISO for in house, and they go, Hey, you want to get from point A to point B? These are the controls that we need to implement. This is the priority of the controls that we need to implement. And that's how we're going to get there. And I'm going to coach you through this, right? And so, they are the ones telling the client, hey, we need to install this solution for MFA. We need to install this solution for a, a EDR or an MDR, right? So they're telling and educating the client on what to do on and what controls they need to put in place. What the CISOs are not doing right now is they're not correlating that to insurability. And so the, the outcome is not just, hey, we're going to get you compliant." But the outcome is also going to be like, hey, we're going to get you compliant also, by the way, your insurance premium should decrease or your insurability should go up. So you should have better coverages. And that can be part of the God, I I hope I'm not losing people here, but it can be part of the equation where it's like, hey, this is your risk. This is what you're doing about it. And then this is your risk transfer. This is your residual risk where you need to transfer that to insurance right? And not a lot of CISOs can have that conversation on the insurance piece. And if an agent, let's just say they partner with Scenario Cyber, (laughs) was able to work with us (laughs) on it, we can help translate that uh, increased insurability and and, uh, improve that business there.
4: Well, here's a little power producers exclusive. We're about, I'd say probably 30, 45 days from launching a new company that will be able to do this for you without you having to, you know, change brokers or do whatever. Um, scenario cyber has somewhat of a, we wanted to take the the approach of like an inch wide, a mile deep instead of like a mile wide and an inch deep. So we work with like 10 agencies and we, you know, have the capacity probably to work with like 15, but we're starting this new company that will allow you to provide your clients with a assessment so they can meet with one of these VCsos, go over their application, their cybersecurity profile, generate all those deliverables that we use to um to to negotiate uh, better terms on the on the back end and then we're working on ways for like carriers to compensate um, us for that so that you can offer it essentially as a free service. So you don't necessarily have to figure it out. There's a lot of moving pieces, but we're about to have a solution that hopefully doesn't cost any money that you can get the, the same outcome with. Nice. Well, I mean, carriers give co-op
1: dollars for all kinds of crap nobody ever spends them on. I don't need golf balls with my logo on
2: it. Oh, come <laughs> or, on, man. Ca- or,
1: or calendars <laughs> to hand out. I need a, uh, I, and- need
2: a <laughs> I need an FRP one right in here. Yeah, yeah you'll never have it. It's, those are gravitating toward <laughs> <laughs> water. Wa- they gravitate toward water. <laughs> yeah, yours. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: gravitate toward the water, <laughs> but yeah, oh, no. Funny. So, so what have we missed, guys? Before we
3: wrap up, I don't know
4: what did we miss.
3: I, honestly, I I thought this, I I feel like what people should be paying attention to is the fact that we're in a soft market right now. It's a it's a race to the bottom. We're building back up, and you need to take this opportunity to sharpen your tools. This is not the opportunity to sit back and go. Oh, I can just get these quotes and it'll be easy and then be reactive to it. This is the time. Improve your process. Learn some of these damn cybersecurity acronyms. Um, you know, start being proactive with your client, educate them, uh, and you'll be winning uh, when that hard market comes, and you'll be the person that people lean to and, and start using word of mouth for you. So there you go.
2: Yeah.
4: How do they I get appreciate- a hold of
1: you, Abe? Yeah, how do they get a hold of you, man?
4: Yeah, so you can uh, find us mainly on LinkedIn. So Ryan Dunn and Abe Gibson on LinkedIn. Um, I appreciate this uh, vent session. This was, uh, I feel <laughs> like there's weight lifted off of my shoulders being able to talk about this stuff with somebody. <laughs> so, <laughs> as, as opposed to y'all. doing
1: rhetorical LinkedIn posts.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's yeah. Nice. It, it, That's
1: usually how Abe vents, is just. Yeah. By throwing some bait yeah. out there to see who's going to jump on the bandwagon and
4: chew them out that day. Yeah. You can Well, I mean, you can tell that I'm kind of a – I was kind of shaped and formed by Nick Ayers and some of the things that I do. Um,
1: hey, you guys are both <laughs> like the bad guy in WWE. Like the whole job <laughs> hates you when you come out. No <laughs> yeah. point, I'm waiting until you turn over to the good side.
3: <laughs> yeah. hey, Abe and I, I call each other at 8, 9 o'clock at night to just vent before we go to bed. You know, just got to get it off our chest real quick. Got to do it. Can't go to bed gotta angry.
2: Yep. that's right.
1: Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong, man. Maybe I should vent to my wife about cyber insurance before I. <laughs> <laughs> that's sure, where we that, started. That doesn't that'll ca- work well. <laughs> that'll that'll ca-
2: yeah, I was gonna say that'll cause additional problems. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
4: Yes, it will. Dave, you got my, you got my number. You got my number. I'm, I'm always available. Yeah. So listen, you
1: can uh, find these guys on LinkedIn. I highly encourage you do that. If nothing else, follow them because I know both of them put out relevant information all the time and it's worth the read when you see something posted because it's usually pretty much what's going on right now. Not what happened. You know, there's a little bit of maybe what's to come, but they're keeping you current with everything that they know, which is a huge advantage over your competition. Who's not doing that? So. Highly recommend you at least give them a follow, but check them out on the internet as well. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap this one up, man. We got Dr. Billy Williams at two o'clock sharp, and Oof,
4: nice. well,
1: you, at two o'clock sharp, you better be recording with Dr. Billy Williams. <laughs> He's gonna let you know two o one is not two o'clock. So mm. <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up, everybody. We will catch you next time.
0: See you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast.